This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. These days, everyone knows how important it is to take time for yourself. Taking a moment to switch off and de-stress from the pressures of everyday life. For many, the much-needed downtime comes by pursuing special interests and hobbies. Whether it's handmade crafts like knitting, building intricate models, gaming, or cooking, there's pretty much something out there for everyone. Whatever your pastime activity is, it provides an opportunity to disconnect from the world. If being indoors is driving you crazy, head for the great outdoors for some hiking, camping, or fishing. Focusing on our interests is one of the best ways to make us feel alive. That is, of course, until what makes us feel alive kills us. Freak accidents, perhaps not surprisingly, are more likely to happen while enjoying outdoor activities. The level of risk increases when we start talking about things like skydiving and bungee jumping. With those, however, you kind of know what you're getting into and can make an informed decision before putting yourself in that situation. But what about when something happens during a relatively safe activity, where the odds of getting seriously injured, let alone dying, are slim to none? Activities like eating a carrot, sitting on a toilet, lying in bed, or fishing. When you think of a nice, quiet day of fishing along the shoreline, you don't immediately associate it with death. This was the unfortunate fate, however, of a Filipino fishing enthusiast, much to his own shock and that of his friends and family. Early one June morning in 2011, 49-year-old Roger Marcelino took his 11-year-old son fishing. Roger was an experienced fisherman and enjoyed heading out to catch the local specialty, a type of freshwater catch known as tilapia. The fish are commonly found in shallow waters and usually measure between six inches and a foot, but can get as long as two feet. Between the small size of the fish and the shallow water, this wasn't exactly extreme fishing. Not even close. So what could possibly go wrong? Roger's preferred fishing spot was along a river not too far from his village. He had his fishing technique down to a science. Wading into the water, he would cast the line and wait for a bite. It's what he did with the catch that made his technique a bit different from others. With no bucket to hold the fish he caught, Roger employed an alternative method to ensure they would not make a slippery escape. On that fateful morning in June 2011, he did what he had always done and held the first of his catches in his mouth, alive, as he recast the line. Unfortunately for Roger, on that particular day, the small fish were not going down without a big fight. As the fisherman struggled to bite down on the fish, his would-be dinner thrashed so violently that it managed to escape, right down Roger's throat. Once there, it promptly became stuck, cutting off his oxygen supply. 
Roger's young son was fishing too far away to see anything, so was completely unaware of his father's medical emergency. Also, cell phone reception in the area was not that reliable, making it difficult to call anyone for help. Now desperate, Roger ran the short distance from the river to his home, choking all the way there. His shocked wife tried to remove the fish from his airway, but was unsuccessful. When the family was finally able to make contact with first responders, things were dire. Roger was passed out from the lack of oxygen. An ambulance rushed the unconscious fisherman to a nearby hospital, but it was too late. The fishing enthusiast had clearly underestimated the lethal potential of carrying such a tiny, seemingly harmless fish in his mouth. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to True. You don't always have to venture outdoors for the Grim Reaper to come knocking. It also does not have to happen while doing anything particularly dangerous. Accidents in the home like a bad fall or a house fire are unfortunately all too common. Thankfully, most responsible homeowners are usually on the lookout for safety hazards. But this doesn't always protect you from the unexpected. Sometimes you can just be simply going about your business when the unthinkable happens. Like in July 2013, while 45-year-old Joao Marie D'Souza and his wife Lenny were sound asleep in their bed. The couple lived in the southeastern Brazilian town of Caratinga, where, for the most part, life was pretty quiet. That was until that night in July. Without warning, the silence was broken by a terrifying crash coming from, of all places, above the couple's bed. As Lenny was jolted from her sleep, she quickly looked around the room to see what happened. What she saw was almost too bizarre to comprehend. On the side of the bed where her husband was sleeping a moment earlier was now a one-and-a-half-ton cow. The massive farm animal had just smashed through the roof of the couple's home. Yep, the cow had fallen through the roof. Of course, the main question would be, how did a cow manage to get on the roof to begin with? The joke is about pigs flying, not cows. According to reports, not surprisingly, the cause of the incident was more about the location of the home and less about cows learning to fly. The house was situated in a rather hilly area of the country, which was known for producing beef and dairy. Many of the homes in the region were built into hillsides with their roofs level with the slope. The cow, which authorities believe had been grazing on property close to the D'Souza's home, had escaped and started wandering. As it continued strolling through the pasture, the 3,000-pound animal ended up walking over the couple's corrugated roof. Unable to support the weight, the roof gave way, and the cow fell eight feet, landing right on Joao's side of the bed. Lenny quickly realized that she was not dreaming. The cow was fine, 
and after a moment, Lenny concluded that she was uninjured as well. Her husband, however, had taken the full force of the impact. He was conscious, and amazingly had only suffered a broken leg. It seemed likely that he would make a full recovery once he received medical attention. But things went from bad to worse. As Zhuao waited to be seen by a doctor, his condition worsened. The following day, the 45-year-old died from injuries caused by massive internal bleeding. His devastated family placed the blame solely on the hospital staff. In their opinion, Zhuao would have survived had there not been a delay with providing treatment. Incredibly, this was not the first time such an accident had occurred in the area. It was, however, the first time anyone had actually been killed. In fact, in the three years before the fatal incident, two other cows had fallen through the roofs of unsuspecting families. Fortunately, none of the occupants had been injured. The first time, no one was at home, but the second time a cow fell through a roof, it narrowly missed a sleeping baby. When it came to Zhuao's death, the hospital denied allegations of negligence and was adamant that he had received appropriate medical care. The claim was rejected by his family, who told the local newspaper, Being crushed by a cow in your bed is the last way you expect to leave this earth. But in my view, it wasn't the cow that killed our Zhuao. It was the unacceptable time he spent waiting to be examined. His devastated mother also spoke out against the senseless and unfair nature of the tragedy telling Brazilian media, I didn't bring my son up to be killed by a falling cow. He nearly died when he was two and got meningitis, but I worked hard to buy medicines for him and he survived. And now he's lying in his bed and gets crushed to death by a cow? There's no justice in the world. Even though the hospital refused to accept any responsibility for its role in Joao Maria de Souza's death, Authorities were still on the case. Local police believe that if the wayward cow had not been able to get loose in the first place, Zhuao would likely still be alive. So, law enforcement began an investigation into how the cow escaped. The last public update was that police were working hard to identify the cow's owner, who they hoped to charge with involuntary manslaughter. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Freak accidents are not always limited to the home. Accidents in the workplace account for a much higher proportion of deaths than they should. Some jobs, of course, are more hazardous than others, such as mining or law enforcement, for example. In other situations, it can just be pure negligence by employers when it comes to health and safety measures that contribute directly to workplace fatalities. 
But no matter how much planning goes into creating a safe environment, sometimes things happen on the job that no one could have predicted. The day after Thanksgiving, 2009, was the last time Larry Marillo Moncada was seen alive. The 25-year-old lived with his parents in the town of Council Bluffs, Iowa, and worked at the local supermarket about a mile from his house. On that day, following a heated argument with his parents, Larry stormed out of the house. The problem was that Larry left in the middle of a snowstorm, with no shoes. Understandably, his upset parents feared for his safety, as well as his mental health. Just before he left the house, he was reportedly experiencing hallucinations, which caused strange and erratic behavior. When the day turned to night with no sign of Larry, his parents reported him missing. His mother later told police that he was disoriented and hearing voices that said, of all things, eat sugar. She said that he told her that his heart was beating too hard and thought that if he ate sugar, it would calm down. Law enforcement searched high and low for the missing man, but with no success. His parents contacted everyone they could think of for help, including extended family and U.S. immigration in case he tried to leave the country. But Larry had simply vanished. Police need help finding this man, now missing for more than a week. He does not have a car, and his family says it's not like him to just disappear. Call Council Bluffs Crime Stoppers if you can help. Almost 10 agonizing years passed with no sign of their son and not a single clue as to where he could be. By early 2019, work was being done at the supermarket where Larry had worked before disappearing. The store had shut down in 2016 and sat vacant for almost three years. Now, contractors were hard at work gutting the former store. As the workers removed shelving and various coolers, they found more than just piles of dust and petrified cockroaches. Behind a 12-foot-tall freezer were the remains of a human body. Whoever it was had been there for a long, long time, apparently stuck between the 18-inch gap. The police were called immediately, and the area was quickly sealed off. The decomposed remains were not identifiable so investigators had to wait for the results of the autopsy and DNA testing. In the meantime, however, Larry's heartbroken parents were able to identify the clothing found on the body as those belonging to their missing son. They had finally found him, but could not understand how he could have been trapped behind a freezer at his workplace for almost 10 years without anybody noticing. When the results of the autopsy were released, it ruled out foul play, as there were no signs of trauma. It concluded that Larry's death was accidental after the 25-year-old had fallen behind the freezer and become trapped in the small gap between the wall. The question remained, why was he behind the freezer to begin with? As investigators spoke to Larry's former co-workers, the pieces of the puzzle started to come together. At the time of his disappearance, it was common practice for employees to use the top of the freezers as storage for excess inventory. 
The top of the freezers was also a popular spot for employees to hang out on their breaks. The former store managers told investigators that even when employees were not on the clock, they would often hang out in the store. It was clear that Larry had run to the supermarket after arguing with his parents and climbed on top of the freezer to relax when he accidentally fell behind it. With that mystery solved, authorities were now focused on the other mystery. How could no one have heard his cries for help? During the investigation, police discovered that the noise of the running freezers would have easily muffled any sound coming from behind them. According to reports, not long after Larry disappeared, supermarket customers and employees started noticing a foul smell inside the store. With no idea where it was coming from, it was all but ignored until it went away. His father was critical of the failure to find Larry when the business closed down, telling a reporter, We went out to find him. Another friend came to help me. We got up early and couldn't find anything. It felt like the earth had swallowed him whole. Our heads are spinning, finding this out after so many years, and it is distressing. It makes us feel a lot of pain. They closed the building. The freezers were not working anymore. So how can a body just be there? What if you had dedicated a chunk of your professional life to the development of an innovative invention, only, in the greatest irony of ironies, to lose your life as a direct result? Jimmy Heseldon was born in 1948 in the North English city of Leeds in West Yorkshire. Like many young working-class men of the time in that part of the country, Jimmy left school in his teens to take up work as a laborer. He soon began working at coal mines, but during the infamous miners' strike of the mid-1980s, he found himself without a job. With the little money he had, he rented a workshop and started running his own sandblasting business. But Jimmy wanted more, and knew that bringing something new to the market would give him the start he needed as a serious entrepreneur. In 1989, he set to work creating a patented barrier system made of a collapsible wire mesh and fabric. It didn't sound like much, but Hesco Bastion, as it became known, was a revolutionary multi-purpose product. The collapsible barriers were much like a container, which could be folded up, making them highly transportable. When the containers were filled with dirt, they could be used as barriers and even blast walls. They were also effective as part of flood management in low-lying areas. Jimmy's novel invention provided a simple, cost-effective, yet unique solution with practical applications that also made him a fortune at the same time. The worldwide success of Hesco Bastion earned the entrepreneur an Order of the British Empire in 2006 for services to the defense industry and charity. Jimmy Heseldon was someone who wanted to use his position of wealth to give back to the community. Over the years, he donated millions to various charities. But 
the ever-ambitious businessman was always on the lookout for new projects. On Christmas Day 2009, he bought himself what some may consider the ultimate gift. Jimmy didn't just buy himself one Segway, he bought the whole company. If you're not familiar with Segway, they manufacture the quirky-looking electric two-wheeled personal transportation device. The Segway has always seemed to defy the laws of nature, a two-wheeled one-person vehicle steered by leaning and kept upright by a series of gyroscopes, except for some of the time. Originally patented in the late 1990s, the self-balancing vehicle had grown in popularity as the newest way to get around. It was expensive, but if you didn't want to ride a bicycle or a traditional scooter, it was an intriguing alternative. However, because riders had a bit of a learning curve when it came to keeping themselves upright, accidents were not uncommon. As one of the vehicle's biggest advocates, Jimmy was often seen riding around on one. But only nine months after acquiring the up-and-coming tech company, his dream of popularizing the brand came to an abrupt end. On the morning of September 26, 2010, the 62-year-old hopped on his Segway and headed out for a ride around his estate. The outdoor terrain was challenging, which was something Segway users often struggled with. As Jimmy made his way along a path overlooking a river below, he somehow veered off course. The detour took him and his Segway right off a cliff, where he fell 30 feet. He sustained multiple blunt force injuries to his chest and spine. Jimmy Heseldon died at the bottom of the cliff. It was a cruel end for a man who had given back so much to his community. And a rather bizarre death to report this morning of the British man who now owns the Segway company. You may be familiar with the Segway. It sort of looks like an electric scooter. Turns out he was found dead at the bottom of a cliff. Following the coroner's inquest, it was revealed that the accident was likely caused when Jimmy tried to make room for someone walking their dog along the same path. While it's virtually impossible to foresee when a freak accident will happen, sometimes it's not a surprise at all when it does. In November 2012, a 32-year-old man in Florida entered a competition held by a local pet store. He was one of about 30 participants eager to win the grand prize, a python snake. But in order to win, contestants had to consume, well, as many live cockroaches as possible within a certain time. Despite practicing ahead of the event and otherwise being in good health, physically at least, the 32-year-old died shortly after the event started. Unfortunately for him, the cockroaches served up in the competition were not going down as easily as during practice. The medical examiner's report stated that he died as a result of choking on arthropod body parts. Thankfully, none of the other competitors were injured during the event. When it comes to electricity, it's probably not that shocking to learn that hundreds of people die and thousands more are injured every year in the U.S. alone. 
In March 1989, however, a convicted murderer in South Carolina solidified his place amongst the most memorable freak accidents ever. The 28-year-old man had actually avoided the electric chair a few years earlier, and was instead serving a life sentence. But on that fateful day in March, he decided that he would fix his headphones while sitting on the metal toilet in his prison cell. The headphones were connected to his television, and when he bit down on the wire, the jolt of electricity that passed through his body killed him instantly. Incredibly, eight years later, in 1997, another convicted murderer died in exactly the same circumstances. While sitting on the stainless steel toilet in his cell and wearing homemade earphones, the 47-year-old inmate was electrocuted to death. It was determined that faulty wiring was to blame. Here are a few more honorable mentions. In 1911, Bobby Leach rose to fame after surviving a barrel ride over Niagara Falls. The daredevil may have lived through the 180-foot drop, but when he slipped on a fruit peel and fell about four feet, the injuries he sustained eventually killed him. In August 1987, Paul Thomas, the co-owner of a textile factory, died when he accidentally fell into a pinwheel machine and wrapped up in several football fields worth of yarn. He was found hours later by employees, and was shortly after pronounced dead at the scene. When a scientist and health food enthusiast named Basil Brown started drinking carrot juice, it turned into an extreme sport. At his peak, the 48-year-old from London was drinking about a gallon of carrot juice a day. That was on top of consuming upwards of 40 million units of vitamin A supplements a week. Within a 10-day period in 1974, the singular diet led to what the coroner called a carrot overdose, resulting in the man's death. Ingesting that amount of vitamin A, it turns out, has the same effect on the body as alcohol poisoning. The pathologist who examined the body noted the color of the man's skin was bright yellow. The incident proved that freak accidents don't necessarily have to happen in the blink of an eye. They can occur slowly and painfully, adding one more layer of strangeness to an already bizarre phenomenon. Tell me what 
production of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched and written by Gemma Harris. The executive producer is Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment. The cover art and design were created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and is produced by me. Have any comments or questions? Email us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. As always, a huge thanks for listening. I'll be back on May 3rd with all new episodes. See you then. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market. Rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.